Hey there, Caroline McCaffrey from the Virtual CISO Chronicles podcast. This podcast is about cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. Each week, I interview an expert working in the field of security. I'm your host, like I said, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearUps, a security program management platform for virtual CISOs and security experts. For years as the general counsel for various startups, I suffered one of my call the security questionnaire problem. So one day I figured if no one else was solving that problem, I would. I started this podcast because I went running one day and I tried to find a podcast on virtual CISOs and I only found two. So just like how I started ClearUps, I thought I would start my own podcast. Today, our guest is Nick Oles. Nick, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Carolyn. Really, really excited to be on here. Um, I love love the, the story and the mission you guys have going on here. Um, really, really interesting stuff. And I agree, you know, the, the VCSO consulting space growing, emerging, and there's definitely not enough resources for people, you know, trying to learn more about it or get into this space. So it's awesome what you're doing here. Well, I appreciate that. I, I've found it com- so completely interesting to hear people's stories, which leads me to my first question for you. If you could please tell the audience about your background and where your passion for cybersecurity came from. Yeah. So I started off, you know, uh, in general IT, like most cybersecurity professionals, uh, my first job, you know, out of college was working at a help desk. And I just, I loved fixing problems for people. And I think that's kind of where, where things started. You know, a user would call in, something was broken, they couldn't do their job or finish a presentation or something like that. And in a lot of times I was able to fix that and it was reassuring and it was, you know, it was a good feeling. So I liked that. And then I started to get more into the security space because people would get viruses on their computers and they would bring them in and we'd have to try and fix them and, you know, save the day essentially, you know, get their get their presentation or their paperback. And I just, I was really, really intrigued by that. And it kind of just clicked to me as like, I I like technology. I like helping people solve problems. And I love this security aspect. I thought it was fascinating to see different attacks and how they took advantage of people and stuff like that. And that's kind of what morphed me into my career was um, just getting more and more into security, learning as much as I could and trying to help people as as much as possible. in tandem with that, you know, I've also been a member of the military for uh, almost my entire career uh, in a reserve component. Uh, started off doing general IT stuff, and then again, you know, found myself morphing into the security stuff uh, more often. Um, and, and I've been able to do that in tandem as well, um, and see see that aspect of things as well from the military and the government aspect, as well as working in various organizations at industry. Um, and that led me. Uh, to my book, which I, I recently published earlier this year on phishing. I was constantly in, in various roles in a bunch of different organizations, seeing phishing emails from all over the world and different levels of sophistication and some working very well, some working not so well, but all of them, you know, in one way or another, uh, gaining information or gaining access to organizations. Um, and there was a, a major lack of training. And, you know, I, I've done all the training courses, watched all the videos and stuff like that. And I didn't really feel, especially when I was on the defense side, doing this full time as a professional, that there was a lot of resources that would teach people, you know, how to analyze a phishing email, how to pull out suspicious indicators, um, how to make a determination, and then what to do with it. You know, there was a bunch of different disparate sources that would tell you some information, but nothing was brought all together. Um, so I, I went down the path of of writing a book and um, got it published earlier this year, and now I'm going to do a lot of fun stuff. Uh, like this, like talk on podcasts and blog posts and things like that to to really cool people like you about about the book and about cybersecurity, which are my favorite things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Okay, well, let's stay on that for a second. So how did the idea for writing a book come to you? And then how did you go about executing on the actual writing and getting it published part? So yeah, there, there was nothing out in the space. And when I was doing this work, I was, you know, I was collecting all this information. I said, you know, it'd be really good if there was, you know, a resource for people to use. But also I kind of, I kind of started initially when I was thinking of this, I was going to write a highly technical book for only for advanced technical network defenders or analysts or engineers. And then as I, I started to dive into this a little bit more, I said, you know, there's really not anything for the broader audience, like the non-technical people, you know, the, the moms, mm -hmm. the aunts, the grandparents, the uncles, the, the siblings, you know, that might not work in the tech space, but they all have email addresses and they all get phishing emails. So I, I kind of took a step back and I thought, well, if I could write a, a book for a broader audience, that would help more people out. Um, and I just thought it would be fun and cool. Honestly, there was no major like driving factor. I don't know anyone personally that's written a book. Um, and I just, you know, I, I started where probably everyone else starts with a, a simple Google search. Um, and I, I literally was, I remember I was looking at my desk and I looked at tech books on my shelf because I had no idea about publishers or anything mm -hmm. like that. And I just looked at the books on my shelf of the publishers, Googled their names and tried to figure out, you know, what, <laughs> what the publishing process was all about. Um, okay. So, so that led to, um, you know, proposals. So that's kind of how the, the book world works. You, you write up a proposal for your book, which is just a simple outline, maybe a writing sample, um, uh, a couple headings of the different chapters or, or the general topic of what, what you're trying to write about. Um, you, you push that out to a bunch of different publishers, you know, they, they review it, they give you some feedback and they kind of do some research and tell you, you know, if this is a, a book that they would like to like to carry. Um, and then you, once you get accepted, you sign a contract, you start the, 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 the draft process essentially. So, so you write all the, the content you have in most cases, like a technical editor, which is a separate person that will tech check the, like the technical components of your book. Like, does this make sense? Is this accurate? Is this right? Can I recreate, like if you're writing code, can I recreate this and it, and it works and stuff like that. Um, and then once that's tech edited, then you go to um, like grammar editing. So mm. just like general, you know, like your English majors, making sure your commas and your tense and all that stuff is correct. Um, and then they also check your graphics and things like that and make sure everything's cited and, and that you can use it and stuff like that. Um, and then mm. it goes to, you know, a final review board and then, publishing in print. And I mean, it almost sounds like a mini business in and of itself, because all that work that you put into putting the book together, and then I assume now you have to spend some time getting it out there, talking about it, you know, sort of do, doing these things, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. So then, you know, um, marketing your book. Um, I, I've gone to uh, some conferences and done some speaking presentations. Um, I've given it out, you know, in, in podcasts like this, live cast, things like that, which is which has really been a lot of fun. The writing the book part is very challenging. It's mm -hmm. uh, I don't think anyone that gets into writing a book fully knows unless you've written one before, you know, it's, it's like being, you know, in college or something, you get writer's block, you procrastinate, everything else in the world seems to take priority over writing this book at times. Sure. So you're just constantly trying to chip away at it and get better and better. And then, you know, eventually one day you just look up and you're, you know, you're almost done. You're on chapter nine or you're, you're, you're in the, in the end of it. Um, and then you get to do, you know, like there's this time of review and there's kind of a pause before the storm. Um, and then the book gets out and then all the busy stuff happens and you're, you're trying to, to speak and stuff, but it's, it's really, really fun. So it's, it's been an awesome journey. Uh, I encourage anyone, 
you know, especially if you're in this space, if you're thinking about it, definitely look into writing a book. It's an awesome experience. So you started, we didn't really talk about, we didn't go through all your jobs, which I would still like to do. But right now you, you started the Net Defender, which is your own business, correct? Yep. Um, has the book helped you with, or yeah, has the book helped you with Net Defender in terms of either getting business or talking to clients and just, you know showing them, hey, I wrote this book that this is clearly, I'm an expert. Um, it, yeah, absolutely. It's helped me in a number of ways, honestly. For First of all, you know, writing is a good skill for anyone involved. Mm -hmm. So me writing my technical ideas down in a book that other people could extend, ex, ex, uh, understand it has been extremely helpful just from a professional development um, aspect. You know, like you can explain something, I can explain something to you maybe like in person or or something like that. But for me to write down and teach you how to do it requires a different level of understanding. So that in itself has helped me a lot. Um, and then, you know, the other aspects of it, the publicity and, um, you know, like the expertise, you know, not only mm -hmm. like, can I explain this to you in person, but now a, a book is published about it that other people can read uh, that kind of demonstrates that I, I, I know what I'm talking about. Um, yep. So it's, it's certainly helped me in that aspect. You know, I've had people pick up the book and reach out and ask questions. I've referenced it if I'm talking to someone that, that might be interested in some work and say, hey, you know, I've written this book about it. I would love to help teach your individuals about this skill or this, you know, aspect of cybersecurity that we covered in my book or we don't, you know. So it, yep. it absolutely has been beneficial um, from a number of aspects in, in that regard. And it's been fun. And I, I have to go on to a little bit of a content question or, or discussion about it because, um when you're talking about phishing, I think the timing of your book, you probably could not have hit it better because with AI, what I've seen is that phishing has just dramatically increased and gotten more sophisticated. What do you think about what's going on generally in the landscape of the phishing world, so to speak? Oh, ab absolutely. So one of the things, you know, that's, that's been a tale of the oldest time for uh, network defenders and people in security programs is, you know, Poor English has been a strong indicator of phishing emails. Mm -hmm. You know, grammar errors, capitalization, weird tenses and stuff like that, um, because a lot of attackers are non-native English speakers. Um, AI has totally changed the game on that because now I don't have to be a native English speaker. I just have to go to an AI platform and ask for them to write me some content about a topic. And now I don't have to write it. I don't have to translate it. Uh, I don't have to worry about punctuation, tense or anything like that it's going to shoot it back to me. And the, the platforms are, are pretty good at that. So I think mm -hmm. it's drastically increased um, the effectiveness and the speed as well. You know, if I don't have to translate a paragraph and I can have ChatGPT create it for me in literally minutes, um, you know, that changes my, my attack speed and my weaponization and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I definitely think it's had an aspect on that. But then there's also other tools that are coming out with AI um, I did a post on this on LinkedIn earlier this week about uh, AI voice modulation. So pairing that in attack vectors where uh, there, there's certain tools that can take small snippets of your voice and do kind of the, the deep fake reproduction. Um, and, and that's been been running rampant. I'm, I've, I've heard a lot of people in the industry talk about it recently where they're hearing of attacks, they're seeing attacks where, you know, these attackers are taking voice samples, they're creating, um, you know, voice uh, conversations essentially or scripts to tell, then they'll, they'll call up the individuals or they'll call up a help desk. They'll, they'll impersonate a trusted source. They'll use this voice modulation software to, to respond back and forth and gain access somewhere. Um, and that's not something we ever, you know, we, 
in the industry, like I've been doing this for almost 15 years, I've never been to a training course or encountered anything like that to defend against AI generated voice impersonation attacks, you know, and it's new. I mean, you're hitting on the one topic that I for years have been talking about as the most scary technology, which is voice AI. I was a GC at an image recognition of a computer vision company. And when I started hearing about um, voice AI, I was like, please, someone raise the raise the alarm. For this. <laughs> <Yeah>. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I do want to get back to a little bit of your background. Uh, because in your LinkedIn profile, you have um, what I consider a very interesting comment in your first job, at least on LinkedIn, when you were at Comdoc as a as a network infrastructure analyst, you said it was here that my first ransomware adwork case, um, pivoting your entire direction of your career into cybersecurity. Talk a little bit about what happened. Oh, yeah. I, I love that story. That's a great question. Thank you for asking it. Um, so I was working, um, you know, as a, as a network defender, um, doing a lot of security help desk stuff. And I, I still remember a user came to me and this was a, this organization was a large sales heavy organization and salespeople. I love them. They drive a lot of business. They help your business out a lot, but they are very eager to interact with emails and phone calls and mm-hmm. stuff like that from potential clients, rightfully so. You know, they have to close businesses or close business and, you know, make deals and stuff like that. So they were always constantly coming to us with different things. And a lot of times it was legitimate. Sometimes it was, it was not, it was another salesperson or it was another, you know, a a random person that had reached out to them. But this, this individual called us and they said, Hey, uh, I've got this screen uh, that's taking over my screen. And we were kind of like, it's interesting. Explain. They're like, yeah, I can't get to any of my, my files, I can't um, get to any of my documents. Like I've rebooted a bunch of times and nothing's nothing's working. And I'm trying to, to troubleshoot it and say, okay, go to a command prompt, go to this, like tell me what this looks like. And, and they just can't. So I'm, I finally say, okay, bring the computer physically to me. I need to need to look at it. And luckily the person was was close by. So they, they bring us the computer, we boot it up and it's a full screen. Um, once you boot up, you can't get to any of the, you know, the start menu or anything like that, the window screen that was just said you're, you know, something like your files have been locked. Um, you need to pay us. I think it said it was the FBI, actually. Like, your files have been seized by the FBI or some federal government agency. Um, to return these files to you, you must pay us, uh, I don't know, $200 via MoneyGram. And instantly, I was like, there is absolutely no way that the FBI is taking money via MoneyGram. I'm like, that's something you buy at, like, Walmart or, like, Kmart or like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like a random store. I'm like, the, the government is not going to direct users to do that. And this was, this is probably like 2008, 2009 frame. So this was early on in the space. So I have no idea what to do. I'm like, oh man, we can't get out of this. We're trying all of our like shortcuts and codes to try and like close the screen and it won't please. So I take a screenshot of it and I start Googling stuff and it, it was um, ad ransomware. Like this wasn't ransomware where the actual files were locked. It was more of like an ad that wouldn't go away. And <laughs> I had not heard of this. I hadn't seen it. I was like amazed. I was like, oh man, I'm like, the files are still on the system. Um, you just have to get past this full screen that locks your screen. Then you can get to your files. Um, and the only way to do it was to pay this money gram, get a code and get in. Um, and I just, it just kind of blew me away. I'm like, these are stopping people from working. Like this is a salesperson. Their Their career depends on, you know, these proposals and these contacts and stuff that are on this computer. And for $200, these attackers are, are stopping them and they're making money off of it. 
so it, it totally just like a light bulb went off and i'm like wow this is fascinating like it's working they're they're getting people to pay they're they've you know made this a legitimate business they're making money off of it illegitimate not a legitimate business but they're making right, money right, off right. of these people um and you know we we had to do our research and figure out what could we do to fix this and you know ultimately we were able to to bypass the ad you know grab all the files off of it and then you know reimage the computer and give them a new a new machine and you know help this person out but from that point yeah. on i was i was just fascinated by by the whole process of what the attackers are doing how they're preying on victims and then how you know we as an industry or we as network defenders or consultants can help you know stop that save the day get these people back to a good known state yeah yeah um all right i want to focus a little bit on your journey into entrepreneurship because i can see that you have done some teaching you've you've been in house um, you've worked, you know, I think now you work for the government as well as being owning your own business, the Net Defender. What was the decision for the Net Defender? How did you get there? Yeah, so um, it, it was almost by by chance. You know, I, I was uh, I was teaching and I really, really enjoyed teaching. And I, and I love that. I love educating people about cybersecurity and topics like that. Um, and I had worked in the industry for a long time. I still work in the industry. Um, and what I'd, I'd found, you know, as I'm teaching all these topics and talking to all these students and interacting with you know, small business owners and things like that through whether they be students or they work in these different um, IT shops, whether they're big or small and stuff like that, was that mm -hmm. people were really poor at documentation and policy writing. It was not mm -hmm. like fun, exciting, like Jack Ryan, jump out of airplanes, like fun <laughs> work. But it, it's, yeah. it was the basic for all cybersecurity programs. Like it's the baseline. You have to have good policies and documentation in place. And I started, you know, helping people out with that. You know, like some of it was friends, some of it was, you know, former students or things like that. Um, and it would just be help us write a policy for this. Or could you take a look at our policy? It's, it's really old. Or we inherited from this company that we acquired and stuff like that. And that's kind of how it always goes. And it's like, yeah, we'll get, you know, we'll get to it when we get a chance. And then they never get a chance to. And then a lot of times they're getting ready to merge with another company or maybe there's an audit or some sort of compliance that they're going through and they need, they need policies, um, you know, like that are well-defined or that meet some guidelines. So I started doing that, uh, you know, helping people out just on my own. And then that's kind of morphed into, you know, people asking me for that. And, and that kind of moved into more of a business model where they would say, okay, we'll, we'll pay you for this. And I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Someone's going to pay me to help <laughs> write this this policy. Uh, and then that, that kind of evolved. And, and I, I started working with organizations that were, you know, a lot of these weren't very mature organizations, or they were trying to get very mature, and they were growing. So then it would, you know, the next question was like, how can we get better as a program? And how mm -hmm. can we integrate certain tools? Or how can we start doing threat hunting? Or can we improve our phishing process and stuff like that? And that's where I've kind of really thrived, because I've seen really good programs and really bad programs, and I've helped programs grow. And being able to, you know, sit back with the business owner, or the IT director, and, you know, call some of the shots and help them develop really important programs and cool tools and, and ways to detect things and, and just get better, you know, recommend training and things like that. Um, and that's kind of where we've, we've been at right now is just helping, you know, a lot of medium and small businesses uh, mature their programs and get better. Now, you said we. How many, how big are you? I'm by myself right now, yeah. Okay. I have a few friends that will help out here and there, but. It's just me. Okay. My favorite question to ask, um, what's the hardest part about running your own business? 
Oh, there's a lot of hard parts, but, uh, <laughs> you know, managing your time and doing everything, you know, I, I think that's, it's fun, but it's very challenging to do, you know, the marketing, the IT, the accounting, you know, the paperwork processing, like the everything, managing your own website, like you, you learn a little bit about a lot of different things. Um, mm-hmm. And that's exciting and it's fun, but it can also be, you know, stressful at times. Um, and it's, but it's, it's rewarding. It's a very rewarding time to help, help people and get to, one of my favorite things is learning about these different businesses that you work with. So things yep. that I would never have exposure to, like if, if someone's like a door handle manufacturer, like I've never worked in a, a manufacturing place that makes door handles. But if I work with this company, I can learn, you know, what's important to them, what's not important, what threats are they, you know, encompassing? What do they have training issues? Do they have IT tech issues, like stuff like that? Um, and I get to learn that business for a little bit. And then I get to learn something else, you know? So it's, it's a very rewarding, fun, fun experience for sure. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're running out of time, which is crazy because this went by super fast. Um, but I, I did want to um, ask um, how, just, I don't know if this can be a quick answer for you, so I apologize, but you have another job or how many jobs do you have? You're, you're you published a book, you have NetDefender, <laughs> yeah. CDOD, you know. I, I have a few jobs, you know, so I'm constantly just staying busy. I've been, you know, I've been a member of the reserve component, uh, you know, my whole career. So I'm constantly doing stuff for the military. I have a full-time job. I'm also doing stuff for, you know, my, my business, the NetDefender, and then, you know, writing stuff for my book and, and publishing, you know, support and promotion and things like that. So I definitely stay really busy. It's fun. It's exciting. There's never a dull moment. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. <laughs> like I said, unfortunately we ran out of time. One quick fire question for you. Cause that's all we have time for. What is your number one security tip that you tell people at social events, like your friends and family? that I would tell people to do, you know, to protect their systems, I would say update, you know, and that's coming from me being a phishing guy. That's surprising. But, you know, if your systems are up to date and you're using the most recent software, hardware stuff that you can, um, it, it puts you in a different tier of an attack category. You know, like a lot of times it's the people that haven't updated at all or they're missing patcher, like soft software updates and stuff like that. So like, if I'm going to do one thing, I'm going to update all my systems as, as, as rapidly and as frequently as I can. And that goes for individuals that I would talk to that, you know, have a one man shop or a no man shop that are just IT workers to businesses mm-hmm. out, you know, multi-million or billion dollar organizations. Like you can save yourself a lot of headache and a lot of risk by regularly updating your systems and ensuring they're updated, testing those updates to make sure they're applied and functioning properly. Good tip. Good job. Always do the Apple updates. Okay. So Nick, please tell our listeners where they can find you to reach out to you. Yeah. So I, I don't have, obviously I'm pretty busy. I don't have time to manage a bunch of social media platforms. Um, I only use LinkedIn. That's basically it okay. uh, for social media. So if you want to get in contact with me, follow me, like me, or uh, send me a message, connect with me on LinkedIn. I also, I do have a website, the netdefender.com. Um, you know, you can get at me with Nick at the netdefender.com. Um, I do have Twitter. I don't really use it too much, but those are the best ways to get a hold of me is LinkedIn and through my website. And to, for listeners, they need to check out your book. What is the title again? Where can it be yeah, found? The, the book is How to Catch a Fish, a practical guide to detecting phishing emails. Um, you can get it on Amazon, Books A Million, all the major platforms. Um, 
check it out. Uh, leave a review if you do. I would love to hear about it. I really enjoy uh, interacting with people that have read it, feedback, positive or negative. Uh, I'm open to anything. Um, and if you get it, for sure, like take a picture, tag me in it, uh, and I would love to hear what, what you think. Awesome. Well, thank you, Nick, for joining us. This was an awesome episode. I really enjoyed listening to you and hearing about your career and your thoughts. And if you're listening to this episode, you can find all of our blogs in this podcast on Substack and Apple Podcasts at the Security Expert Marketplace. So thanks again, Nick, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Carolyn. Really appreciate it.